Let me pray for you, Carol. Father God, I thank you for Carol. I thank you for bringing her to Chatham. I thank you for all that she is. I thank you for the preparation and pray now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit may fill her, prompt her, anoint her, speak through her. Prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive your word this morning. Through Christ, amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. So I know, it's harvest. It's a familiar passage, and some of you will be thinking you can quietly switch off for a little while. After all, you know what comes next, don't you? And what is there new to say about harvest? But if you can, stay with me. This passage from Luke is important. It was important then, and it's just as important now. The word of God is vibrant and alive, and we should expect it to speak to us today. And we should expect to be changed by it. So, in view of that, if you want to have a little snooze, and you risk hearing the word of God, feel free. (laughs) So this passage comes to us as Jesus has started to turn his face towards Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. And his message is becoming almost daily more urgent, more confrontational. It's almost as if he feels time is running out. And he's desperate for people to get it, to start walking with him. Just a few verses in front, in verse 4, we have him saying, repent or perish. It doesn't get much clearer than that, does it, really? The next two sections in Luke's text after this are about entering through the narrow door and Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. When you look at this section as a whole, it's clear that the pace is fasting, getting faster, and Jesus has something really important he wants to say. In many translations, this section we've just had read starts with therefore. So it's quite important when a passage starts with therefore to look back, what, why, what's, what's therefore about. And it follows the healing of the crippled woman in verses 10 to 17. And is Jesus trying to say something about her? I don't know if you remember the passage. If you've got your Bibles, it's worth having a quick look. There's a woman who's been bent over for years and years and years. And Jesus heals her, releases her. She's a daughter of Abraham. She's beloved of God. And she's been tied up for nearly 18 years by evil. The one who had Israel in his grip. The one against whom Jesus is about to win a huge victory. What Jesus has done for this poor woman is what he's longing to do for Israel as a whole. The enemy, the accuser, has had Israel bent over and in his power for many years. And Jesus' kingdom is the one thing that can free her and free Israel. 
He's trying to explain what happens when people allow the word of God into their lives. He's saying the kingdom is like a tiny seed. I don't know if you've seen these little mustard seeds. They're absolutely tiny, producing a huge tree, which can then accommodate all the birds in the sky. One action in one synagogue on one Sabbath. What can that achieve? But when we release the seed of the kingdom, nobody knows where it will end. The repercussions may go on for eternity. And again, the kingdom is described as a small helping of yeast, hidden apparently in a huge amount of flour. It seems insignificant and ineffectual. But before long, the whole mixture rises. One healing of one woman, but every time you break those satanic chains that have people tied up, another victory is won, which will go on having effects that we can't even understand or imagine. So Jesus is saying the harvest is out there. God has equipped us for the job. That amount of flour with that little bit of yeast, would have fed a small army. When I worked in Nairobi, um, I went on placement there when I was at college. And um, part of the time, I was in an orphanage that was run for orphans who'd been orphaned because of the AIDS virus. And the other part of the time, I was working in the slums, uh, with a project that was seeking to work with teenage prostitutes, many of whom had young babies, most of whom, by definition, had HIV, if not the full-blown AIDS. And um, even amongst the slum community, these girls were ostracised. They weren't wanted. They were thrown out by their families. They, they were absolute outcasts. And I arrived at the project one morning, and it was, when I say slums, it really was. There were, there were some days uh, when it had been raining really hard, and we actually got a message to say, don't go in, it's too dangerous. Well, if it's too dangerous for us to go in, how dangerous is it for the people who don't have houses, who don't have running water, and who live there all the time. Anyway, we went in this one morning and we got there and I was met with uh, the project director and some of the staff and they said, we haven't got any supplies. The, the, the girls would arrive often mid-morning with their children, with their small babies, um, and we fed them. It was the first thing we did. We'd feed them all through the day. And there was no, there was no food There was nothing to cook for lunch. There was nothing to cook for their mid-morning, what we would describe as breakfast, probably. And um, I was kind of, okay, well, what do we do now? And um, as a Westerner, my immediate thought was, okay, well, I've got my purse with me. Let's go and buy something. And the American missionaries I was with were really wise and said, no, don't do that. Do not do that. It just fosters dependency. It's a really bad idea. Okay. Um, So um, the director, who was 
uh, a native Nairobi chap, lovely, lovely guy, said, okay, we're just going to sit and pray. And I thought, this is going to be a really long morning. (laughs) My faith was not there. He said, we're going to pray and God will provide. And I thought, oh no, okay. So we sat and we prayed and time went on and I thought, oh dear. And I was, I was beginning to get hungry thinking, mm, when's this food going to appear and what are we going to do? Absolutely no faith. And then suddenly there was a knock on the gate and we opened the gate and there was these women there with their arms absolutely loaded with food. And they said, we were praying this morning, and God said, you needed some food. And um, they had so much. They, I mean, it was incredible, the stuff they had brought. They'd been to the supermarkets, they'd been to the, to the uh, market, and they'd bought tons and tons of this lovely food, much better stuff than we normally had. And it was just amazing. And it, it seems to me, um, my faith was nowhere. I'll be honest. I really thought we were just going to have a really hungry day and we were going to be able to maybe pray with the girls, but they wouldn't stay long without food. My faith was no bigger than a mustard seed. But the women who brought the meal stepped out in faith. And the consequences of that were absolutely enormous. Not only did those teenagers and their small babies get fed, But it gave us all more faith. The next day, I couldn't wait to get there and pray and see what God was going to do. And we we started asking for the ridiculous things, the the adventurous things. You know, Lord, we need somewhere else to meet. And he provided. It was incredible. And it helped us to have the faith that God cares for those in society for those that society has just turned their backs on. And it spoke volume to these girls, many of them who'd been rejected by their families. Literally, they were thrown out with their small children to fend for themselves, usually when they were pregnant, because then it was apparent that uh, what they'd been doing. But in that moment, they knew somebody really cared about them. Somebody cared enough to break off their prayer meeting and go and buy food and bring it into the slums. That is how our little mustard seed can become a tree. And that is why the woman was freed in the previous section. Because when we act, when we pray, the forces of evil are driven back And the impossible happens. The kingdom of God breaks out. Have you read in Acts 2? Could we have the Acts 2 passage up, please? Where there's a description of the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And so it goes on. And 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want some of that, don't you? That sounds good to me. It has to be an example of just what Jesus is talking about with the yeast and the flour. The result of a few who took the Holy Spirit at its word and expected miracles. And let's not forget, these were the few who a few short weeks before had completely abandoned Jesus. 
as he went to the cross. And now they're praying, and the Lord is adding to their number daily. And I think that's just amazing. It's another example of yeast working its way through to move an enormous amount, just as God works through us to reach others. Now, I know, we all think, I do too sometimes, this is all very well for the super holy ones out there. The missionaries, the professional Christians, the ones we look at and we think, oh, I'd like to be like that, but I'm just not. We perhaps think we're too small, we lack faith, we don't know our Bibles well enough, we find it difficult to pray out loud. We may believe perhaps we're the only one that wants this miracle to happen. But let me tell you about an incident It wasn't that long ago, before I left Reading, uh, there was some missionaries I was affiliated with that that were based in Reading. And uh, we were doing some some stuff, some training with some some other community workers. And uh, they'd asked me if I'd go and be their chaplain. I thought, well, that's all right, that's not too scary. So I I went and sat through their their morning teaching, and I thought, oh, this this is easy, I can do this. And, um, and then they said, now we're going to go out on the streets and do this stuff. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just hang back a little bit and um, they can go out on the streets and I'll stay here and pray for them and that'll work really well. And then they looked around and the leader, Claire, looked at me and said, Carol, will you lead a team? And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> I've got to go out. So I yes, thinking, oh, dear. And uh, so I went out with uh, a few young people and uh, we, we were kind of chatting, we'd knocked on a few doors, we'd talked to a few people. And then I saw this lady walking across the green. And I, I can't tell you to this day why, but I just knew it was important to go and talk to her. And so I summoned, I'm not a street evangelist, I'm really not, you know. And, and I, I sidled up to her and sort of, oh, hello. And uh, I started chatting to her, and her story came out. She was actually on her way to go and commit suicide. Her partner had told her that she was going to go to hell because she couldn't give up smoking. He had spent years verbally abusing this woman. She was telling me how he had constantly belittled her and made her feel awful. Now, I'm, I'm, I can never remember scripture when I need it, but wow, all this stuff suddenly came out of my mouth, and I was telling her how beloved of God she was, and how much God loved her and wanted her to continue living. And, um, and then she told me the story about how her father used to make fun of her because she was the only one of her siblings that could read. And he used to make her read the Radio Times. And that was, that was her reading matter. And at this point, there were tears in my eyes. And I was just thinking, Lord, we've got to do something here. It's a long story. But this woman ended up coming to church, going through an alpha course And is now, she's not a regular member of church. She still has issues. The boyfriend's still around. But her life has turned around. And that day, she did not go and commit suicide. Now, I have to tell you, I'm 
I am the first one to say, I'm not super spiritual. I'm not super holy. But I do sometimes do what God asks me to do. And that's all he is asking any of us to do. So the yeast is small. The yeast is microscopic, just like our faith. And my faith that day could have been described as absolutely pathetic, really. I would much rather have been back in the centre making lunch for everybody. And yet God is working through us for his kingdom. Who knows how many people that woman is going to reach because of her testimony that God came to meet her as she was on her way to go and commit suicide. Our small amount of yeast, our small amount of faith can break out into literally life-changing possibilities. And that small amount of faith can cause ripples, some of which we will never know about. I've had to leave this lady in the trust of people I used to work with, and I might never know her story, at the end of her story. I'm sure God's got his hand on her, and it's going to be good, though. All the prophets in in the Old Testament giants, people like Ruth, people like Esther, Abraham, Moses, Diana, Rizpah, Rahab, were only, they were only people like you and me. But they chose to allow God to work through them, and we still celebrate that. We still celebrate the difference they made. So for us in Walderslade, what does all this mean? How does this change things for us, and what has it got to do with harvest? We're not an agricultural place. Maybe we just go to Sainsbury's or Tesco's or wherever you go, and we're unaware completely of the rise and fall of of coffee or sugar harvests or vanilla harvests or whatever it is, or even of mustard trees. But there is a harvest out there. At St. John's, as I'm sure um, you've you've heard of, our, our vision is to find the lost, the lonely, the ones that the Holy Spirit is leading us to and to bring them home. They won't always be the easy ones. They won't always be the ones that we have anything at all in common with. They might be difficult. They might be unsociable. They might not even speak English. They may be those that sleep rough and those with addictions. It'll be costly and it'll be painful sometimes as people will reject us and will reject the message of Jesus. The woman who was bent over probably wasn't in mainstream society. It was probably thought she'd done something terrible to upset God and was being punished for that. But... We want to be the yeast. We want to be that mustard seed that brings a whole tree of life. One of the constant visions for St. John's I've heard several times, I had it and several other people have had it, is of a beacon of light in the hill, on the hill, bringing God's kingdom to Chatham. And we'll be doing that with other churches and other organizations. But that's is partly what God is talking about here in these miracles of the seed, of the little mustard seed and the yeast. 
Somebody um, this week had a dream that she told us about. It was absolutely amazing. And she told us that she, she was in a car and she became aware of kind of a lump by the side of the road, all crumpled up. And she stopped the car. And it was a sleeping bag with somebody in it. And then she looked and at... at um, intervals through the road. There were all sorts of people, some of them in really nice sleeping bags, some of them in really crumpled, awful sleeping bags, all along the road. And I'm absolutely certain when she told me about this dream, she was going, I don't think it's very prophetic. And, and her husband's going, I think it is, actually. And, and I, I'm sure it is. It's about the people that are out there that want us to go and say hello and reach them and talk to them and bring them home. So how is the yeast working through us? Would you follow this man to Jerusalem? Will you? It might be risky and it might be, well it certainly will be, unpredictable. You might end up at the foot of the cross. But where else would you want to be? Are we going to allow the yeast to work through us and be part of bringing the lost home to Christ? I'm sure there's going to be an opportunity to pray. I'm going to finish there and um, hand over to you. I just like making the hot potatoes and handing them on.